0: You're listening to ClearCast, the real estate fintech podcast by Clear Capital. Each month, your co-hosts, Jeff Allen and Keenan Chen, will bring you compelling stories and revolutionary ideas from the people, companies, and institutions at the intersection of real estate, finance, and technology. Want to be a guest on the show or have an idea for an episode? Email marketing at clearcapital.com and let us know. And now, here's the show. Hey, and welcome back to ClearCast. This is episode three. I'm Jeff Allen, EVP of Valuation Strategy for Clear Capital, joined again by Keenan Chen, uh, EVP of Corporate Strategy for Clear Capital. Keenan, how are you?
1: Hello, hello. Doing, doing all right.
0: We've got an awesome episode this week. We are joined by Natalie Goodman, who is the founder of Incentified, a super cool company um, that's doing some very interesting things, connecting uh, property owners and and property builders to green incentives. So we've got her coming up for an interview to talk to us a bit about what Incentified is up to. And before we dig into all that, uh, Keenan and I will kind of check in with one another. Keenan, I'm checking in with you. Quarantine is 10 or 11 weeks in now. How are you holding up?
1: I I'm doing, you know, I'm I'm doing okay. I've been uh, been definitely getting out on my on on my on my bike a bit more and and uh enjoying the the outdoors. Um but I've also been rediscovering my love of skateboarding. Ooh. And I have managed to um to not kill myself yet. <laughs> so, I'm doing great. <laughs> Falling doesn't feel the same as it used to. I I don't know. If it ever felt good, but it it definitely never felt this bad before. so uh,
0: are you falling more often, and that's why it feels worse, or just pain in general at your advanced age?
1: <laughs> you know, it's hard to tell the difference. Um, yeah, how, how about you? Are you doing anything uh, new and, and interesting uh, while being confined?
0: Uh, you know, we we uh, my wife and I have decided we need a project. Um, something that uh, will um, force us out of our our routine of you know work and then sit around work and sit around. So we uh, we actually so I'm mostly quarantined up at our our lake place in western Wisconsin. We decided that we were going to take the plunge and buy uh, like a Scandinavian barrel sauna, and we're having it shipped to us from Canada, and then we're going to put it together, and it's going to be in the woods outside our cabin.
1: Is it? You know, is it like the size of, uh, like a, a a wine barrel that you make wine in? Like, how are you, are you guys just gonna stand in? It? Like stand really close together? Or?
0: <laughs> no, it can comfortably fit uh, six to eight grown adults, ah. and uh, and give you a nice steam. And uh, so we'll we'll be spending a lot of our summer putting that together and making that a reality.
1: Very cool. I've never heard of this. I want pictures.
0: I will certainly make that happen. And actually, it's really good for rehabilitating injuries to get a sauna. So after you you know, crash your skateboard for the 600th time, just swing <laughs> on over. Perfect. Cool. Well, we've also got some news stories of the pod we want to check in on. And of course, the much anticipated real estate joke of the pod. So let's talk a little bit about what's going on in the news, uh, specifically within the real estate fintech space. And it's no surprise that you know the coronavirus and and really the associated economic impacts of the coronavirus um, are driving some of the the key major trends impacting the real estate fintech space right now and into the year ahead. There's two specific major trends emerging now that we thought we wanted to call out with some some articles. One of those trends is kind of the urgent shift in terms of people's focus in our industry towards uh, mortgage servicing in light of the fact that uh, there's now a very large number, sadly, of uh, homeowners who are currently in some sort of default um, on their mortgage. Keenan, here's a a headline that I'm sure uh, doesn't shock you, but certainly isn't fun to hear. Uh, And this is from Housing Wire on May 15th. Currently, 8.8% of U.S. mortgages are in forbearance. Uh, That's about 4.7 million mortgages right now. Um, And so that obviously represents a pretty major economic impact for the world, most importantly, but more narrowly in our industry. These are folks who now are going to need support um, and and service from, from mortgage servicers, from technologies that support mortgage servicers. Uh, what are you hearing out there uh, in the world about what this this big wave of forbearance means for our, our little industry?
1: Um, yeah, it, it's amazing how how fast these numbers have have increased to 4.7 million mortgages in, in forbearance. And what I think a lot of folks are trying to figure out is, what does this look like not only now, but what does this look like six months from now, 12 months from now, uh, when these loans need to be modified? And and so you, you have a lot of, uh, I think, need for, for technology that's, that's borrower friendly, um, that, uh, that makes this a smooth process for everyone, um, but also allows uh, servicers to make good decisions uh, with the information that, that they have. And yet at the same time, we've got historically low mortgage rates where there's an opportunity to to, to recapture, you know, borrowers that are looking to refinance. And if there's a good experience in the servicing process, then there's a better chance maybe of recapturing, you know, those borrowers, you know, within the same, the same, uh, the same organization.
0: Yeah. It really seems like there's a a major opportunity and maybe even responsibility for, you know, the real estate fintech space and, and the lenders who who, and services who have these mortgages to really step up. Um, step up to the challenge Um, you know nobody could have predicted this level of you know mortgage default Um, and it's really nobody's you know individual fault it's not like there was some sort of systemic risk in the system that all these loans were bad loans or anything like that it's just sort of a black swan type event it really feels like uh, uh, the industry really needs to step up and offer some some solutions so that is a major trend we're monitoring The other major trend we're monitoring also related to COVID and the economic fallout is the housing market, Um, specifically, you know, housing prices on the purchase side and the supply and demand dynamics that are going on in that, that side of the world. You know, what's interesting is that we're not seeing yet in the home price data, any sort of significant drop in prices. Um, You know, for instance, you know, realtor.com, median sales price from last month actually increased 5% year over year from the prior month. And that sounds good on the one hand, but that's mostly because, uh, you know, prices are a a backwards looking indicator, probably of contracts that were entered into early on in COVID or before COVID. Um, But if you actually look at um, some of the underlying supply demand data, um, there's data from Redfin that shows there's a sharp annual decline of 22% in home sales last month. Uh, new listings plunged 41%, housing inventory declined by 21%. So there's all these kind of early leading indicators that do indicate there's some kind of impact going on uh, in the housing side of things. What are you seeing, Keenan?
1: Yeah, we've been been monitoring data from our, our Clear Capital data guys. We'll give them a shout out here. And, you know, just looking at obviously New York as a as an example, last month I saw listings, active listings down 46% uh, month over month. Um, and then, you know, even the, you know, what those sales, uh, that the sales are actually happening in New York, what they're being priced at and, um, and seeing a, a decrease there as well in terms of, uh, median sales price. Um, you know, typically it's been, it's been growing at last year at this time. Sales were growing, you know, um, price wise, two to three percent. Um, that's dropped down to less than one percent um, growth month over month in in New York. So there's certainly some indicators that things are are changing quickly.
0: Yeah, there there definitely is. So in the real estate fintech space, what does this kind of responsibility look like? What are the what are the things that companies who support homeowners and housing prices? What should they be looking to do right now?
1: Accuracy is seems to be you know, so important, right? Accuracy as markets are changing quickly, accuracy, under understanding home values, home prices, just helping folks make good decisions, you know, um, whether it's um, a homeowner deciding, you know, when to sell their property, what to sell it for, um, you know, uh, purchase decisions, all those are, are certainly coming into play here, especially, with not being able to get into homes, right, um, right now, um, data is is so important in the accuracy of that data.
0: Well, it's something we'll be watching closely. I'm sure in a lot of our headlines that we cover on the podcast, we'll be returning back to these subjects just to kind of model out what's happening together. Um, so certainly something we're we'll watching closely. Before we uh, bring on uh, Natalie Goodman from Incentifind, uh, I am going to divert us into everyone's favorite part of the pod, which is the joke of the pod.
1: When you say everyone, Jeff, are are you referring to, to me?
0: Yes. <laughs> <laughs> For the record, Keenan hates this segment. But uh, once again, now after episode two, every single piece of feedback that I have received, maybe not every single, but most of it, was related to the jokes of the pod. So I feel like you need to give the jokes of the pod their due.
1: I, I just sense some exaggeration going on there, but i'll I'll roll with it.
0: <laughs> okay. Well, this one uh, I'm very proud of. This is an original joke that I wrote over the weekend, and I had to workshop it over, I would say several days. So a lot of a lot of thought and time went into this one. So there's a real estate agent in Atlanta. You with me so far?
1: Um, I'm with you.
0: okay. And the real estate agent is having a really hard time selling a house that he's listing. It's just a really weird property. And the the problem is the house only has half bathrooms. There are no full bathrooms. (laughs) Have you ever heard of that?
1: Uh, I'm not as familiar with the Atlanta market, but um, sure. I'll, I'll, I'll pretend that, (laughs) that that's possible. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: I mean, that'd be weird, right? I mean, that's pretty weird. So, It's a hard one for him to sell. And he's just thinking like, man, I swear no one is ever going to buy this thing. Then one day after many days on market, he gets a voicemail from another agent who is representing a potential buyer. And the agent says, hey, I've got a buyer who's really interested in this house. Um, But the buyer wants you to call him directly to talk about it. And so the listing agent was like, well, okay, that's kind of weird. Uh, I usually would just deal directly with an agent, but okay, we'll give this buyer a call. Uh, so I actually have audio from that phone call. Um, so just if we can just kind of play that, Matt. Hey, uh, is this the buyer who's interested in in buying my house uh, on 123 Main Street that I heard about? Yeah! Oh, well, that's, <laughs> that's great to hear. Yeah. Um, I'm 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 excited to hear you're interested, uh, but in the interest of full disclosure, I just wanted you to know that uh, it only has half bathrooms. Is that okay? Okay. <laughs> okay. Well, that's great. So you're still interested. Um, so I just want to clarify: you really actually want a house that only has half bathrooms? Yeah. Wow. Okay. That's great. Um, so since you're so interested, um, I guess we'll just proceed with, you know, with a full price offer for the full listing price. What? Oh, nope, no. Okay. My bad. Uh, you want to negotiate? That's fine. We can do that. Uh, how about we do a 10% off the listing price? Okay. Wow. We got a deal. (laughs) So that was the live phone call that we had the recording of Matt. Thanks for playing that That's very convincing. <laughs> so the agent hangs up and he's like, he's like, wait a minute. I recognize that voice. That's that famous rapper who lives around here. Now I just need to figure out why a house with only half bathrooms would be of so much interest to Lil John. <laughs> <laughs> Explain it to me. I want to make sure you get it.
1: I, no, I, we we need to cut this whole segment, honestly. <laughs>
0: <laughs> this, one, this one's a little, um, it's nuanced, right? So I just don't, I'm not sure you get it. Can you explain?
1: No, I, I'm going to need you to explain this one because <laughs> I just can't get past the fact that you actually use Little John in a mortgage <laughs> dirt.
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay, half bathrooms are small bathrooms. <laughs> John's is another word for bathrooms. <laughs> Lil John loves the house that only has half bathrooms because it's like his name. <laughs> what do you think?
1: Uh, how much time did you spend on this joke? Three days. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I even I even found a, a free soundboard on the internet of Lil John clips.
1: <sighs> it's great. I'm going to have to spend some time trying to, to clean this from my mind. Yeah! <laughs> and moving on. Okay.
0: <laughs> okay. Anyways, let's veer us back into the lane of respectability. Keenan, will you please introduce our guest?
1: We're very, uh, very honored and pleased to have, um, a great guest with us. And really, I think an area that, uh, is one you don't hear a lot about, and so we're really excited to to learn learn and, and dig in more um, to uh, the world of of green incentives. And so we're, we're joined by Natalie Goodman, who's the the founder of Incentifying, um, which is uh, the nation's go-to database for green incentives. And um, you know, as we've been you know getting to know uh, you know Incentifying, it you know, that they're a perfect example of what we've been discussing around real estate fintech and all the different, you know, interesting crossovers between, between worlds. And um, so, yeah. So Natalie, thanks so much for for joining us.
2: Yeah. Thanks so much for having me.
1: So, yeah, we'd love to learn a little more about you and, and, uh, um, you know, how you, how you, you know, got into this world, which it doesn't seem like there would be, you know, just a uh, a pretty obvious path to get into green incentives. Uh, how did you come up with the idea for Incentifind and and uh, what's the story?
2: Yeah, um we're I always tell folks, I'd love to say that I had this fantastic plan of how I was going to start a startup and that it was going to be called Incentified, and we would have all this, you know, fantastic impact. Um, It's a complete accident, honestly. Um, My, my background's architecture, right? So I have always had a career that centered around sustainable architecture or green buildings. Um, And so, you know, as I was serving all of these various Uh, property owners um, throughout my career, right? They might've been like oil and gas or pharmaceutical, um, even Department of Defense. um, Johnson Space Center was also another one. I would help them embed sustainable measures into their assets because uh, green buildings, yes, they're great for the environment. Everybody knows that. But um, sustainability or or green buildings, they also um, increase in assets value. They uh, are less expensive to operate. Uh, they can attract and retain tenants better, um, and overall, green buildings are just healthier buildings. So, it was for those reasons that I served um, a lot of these owners and helped to embed these these measures. And so, my career kind of took me all over the United States as well as, you know, all over the world. Um, I returned to the U.S. I'd say like oh gosh, four four years ago. Um, And I knew that I wanted to do sustainable architecture in the United States. I kind of had this little dream that I would do a small consulting practice. And so in the back of my mind, I knew our government by law, like they have to provide incentives to promote green building. And so I got on the internet and just started searching around, thought for sure someone had created a database that would coalesce all of these, right? That would monitor all of these incentives. And I could use those incentives as this tool or this aid to help more property owners go green. Right. I could use it as part of my consultancy. Um, and even though I just, I kept searching, I couldn't find anything. So I had a friend at the department of energy. I phoned him up and I just said, his name is Paul. And I said, Paul, um, I, where's this database? Um, I know by law, you guys have to, you know, provide all of these incentives and I just, I need access to a da- to this database. Uh, so he laughed and he said, Natalie, look, in, in good government fashion, yes, we're required to create all of these incentives across all these levels of governments, across all 50 states. But yeah, no, we didn't build a searchable database. <laughs> and um, you know, we chatted for a while and just kind of ended the call. And right before I hung up, I said, you know what? I think I'm going to build it. I mean, seriously, how hard could that be, right? Uh, I hung up the phone and boy, I ate my words because um, even with the help of, I had a really smart team, right? They're as equally passionate um, as I am, but it took us about a year to just figure out the standardization, how to coalesce all this data. Um, But when we did, I called my my buddy back at the Department of Energy and um, I was super excited told him, I said, you're not gonna believe this. We did it. We have federal, state, county, city, utility level government incentives, all 50 states. We have energy efficiency and water conservation and renewables and electric vehicles, economic development. You know, I told him we built this database that actually reflects how, you know, buildings and homes are constructed and upgraded, which is um, holistically, right? So he just kind of was silent. <laughs> and you know I was like are you are you there and <laughs> you know he, just, he goes I didn't think you would actually do this um so.
0: <laughs> like, like what's wrong
2: with you <laughs> yeah so uh you know he just kind of told me he's like this is actually a really important resource Natalie um and I that resonated with me um you know I I remember just not sleeping for a couple days and thinking oh man, my little tiny consultancy that I selfishly wanted to build this database for. I was like, I can't do that anymore. I need to make this, you know, accessible to property owners uh, across the United States. Um, So that's essentially when Incentivine was sort of born. And um, I'd say we began our startup journey about um, early 2017. And I don't know, we've kind of just been trailblazing ever since.
0: That's awesome yeah and, and what's so fun about your story um, is you have to do so much uh, unglamorous work to make it a reality. Um, you know when people think about a startup and you know creating a startup they often think about oh we're gonna have really slick UI and we're gonna have great customer experience and, and that's all very important but your guys's business is essentially built on like very difficult tracking of information which is pretty unglamorous you know governments have a stereotype for not being easy to work with so what's that been like for you what what's what was the process like of getting it set up figuring out where to go how do you maintain it day to day give us a, a peek inside the, the unglamorous but important work
2: yeah i think uh, you you hit the nail on the hat we we know it's it is not very glamorous work um but you know, we've got a a very dedicated deem. And honestly, that's our value proposition. That's also a barrier to entry for incentivizing, right, is we deal with the data that no one else wants to deal with. And we do it with this painstaking detail. and it's that detail, right? It's, it's all about how we standardize the da- data on the back end, um, to make it searchable using a two minute survey. So whether you're a homeowner and you arrive at our website or you're, you know, a big developer, you still fill out the same two minute survey and we can kick back, um, which incentives your property is eligible for. Right. Um, but I think that, a lot of how we got to that point, and I know it won't be news to you guys because you built the same thing, is it takes dedication to discipline, right? Um, we have a huge discipline to our standardization process, we have a huge discipline to serving our customers with, um, you know, quality data. A huge discipline to like this uh, continuous communication with governments. So especially state and local governments, utility companies as well. It's just a constant communication channel that we are um, engaging with them on. And as we have that communication, we're pulling that data into our uh, standardization form filling out those, all of those, uh, tables, tagging all the different, you know, products, um, and, uh, equi- green equipment, if you will. So that again, I go back to the kind of the homeowner and, uh, you know, commercial developer, their experience should be nothing more than I fill out a two-minute survey and magically appears this wonderful you know, digital report that tells me everything I can uh, go after and how much is available and how long will it take me to apply. Um, but yeah, everything on the back end is, is definitely this painstaking detail. Um, but I think that sort of the sexiest part is where we get to engage with the government, um, especially state and local governments, um, in a different way. Um, I always tell folks, you know, engaging with governments, yes, I understand. It, it does have that that stereotype that you had mentioned, right? But I don't know. We look at our government's predicament a little differently. So um, we're in this time of, of voting, right? So I kind of imagine this scenario. Okay, how many people are going to run to the polls and say, okay, I would really like to increase my government's marketing budget, please, so that they can promote, you know, incentives for real estate and constructions, put my tax dollars towards that, (laughs) you know?
0: Uh, It's not, no. uh, no. Yeah, yeah,
2: no (laughs) one's doing that, right? So, and I'm sure that the governments that do create these programs would love that, but no one's doing it. Everyone's like, no, put my money towards, I don't know, better roads and schools and so on and so forth. So here you have government's required by law to create these incentives right and yet their hands are completely tied and how they can even promote them to us and and tell us about these programs so by the time our research team does their pretty regular outreach at at minimum it is monthly Um, uh, or I'm sorry it's quarterly sometimes it's monthly especially during like a time like COVID where a lot of things are changing Um, but when we reach those governments, I can tell you they're excited. They're relieved. Um, they put a lot of blood, sweat, and tears into the programs they've created, and they know now that they're going to live on a database that monitors their usage and you know utilization. Um, they're going to be on a platform that property owners know to come to as sort of like this you know one-stop shop for all incentive types, whether it's, um, I don't know, energy efficiency or water conservation or um, renewables like solar, right? So I don't know, I'd say our uh, relationship to a lot of the state and local governments especially is one with a lot of excitement um, and relief, right?
1: Yeah. So, uh, I mean, that that brings up a good point with um, the different types of incentives. I mean, I, I, I think there's maybe a perception know when you think about you know green building especially on the commercial side that it's it's pretty complex or it takes you know a lot of really specific expertise may have toward you know various like data centers and things that have gotten their energy efficiency ratings and um the idea of applying that to your house seems kind of daunting so what are the what are the common you know types of incentives you know that a homeowner would be interested in and is there a big barrier to entry or is it pretty simple?
2: Yeah, no, I think that's a good question. And for homeowners, um, I'd say without a doubt, uh, the most common type of incentive, or I should say the largest incentive category in our residential side of, uh, our database is going to be energy efficiency, right? So if we think of a home, think of all anything that touches the energy system. So it could be your windows, roof, insulation, uh, water heaters, appliances, um, lighting, ceiling fans, AC units, thermostats, anything that contributes to your electricity bill basically. Right. Um, and let's go back to kind of the governments that create these incentive programs. They know that if those programs are too daunting, that a homeowner is really going to be detoured from, from, um, taking advantage of it. And the whole goal of these incentive programs is to transform the market. Right. So, um, a lot of the residential incentives are quite simple. So let's take a, I don't know, an appliance, right? Uh, let's say you wanted to upgrade your water heater because that's one of the more popular categories, especially with homeowners. Um, it, you simply can show or you can look at our digital report and it's going to give you the steps to follow, especially if you're a homeowner, how to how to capture that incentive. And the steps could be as easy as this, you know, just double check that you are, you know, uh, paying your bill to you know xyz utility company right just believe it or not you've got to get that level of detail on there um after you've kind of checked that box um go ahead and download this purchasing form for the water heater uh they download it fill it in and um, it'll say you know take a picture of your receipt and either snail mail it back to this address or you can email it to this point of contact and your reimbursement cash reimbursement will show up in i don't know four to six weeks, right? So we really try to manage all of those expectations, but believe it or not, homeowner incentives can be that simple. Um, but for the ones that, for the incentive programs where it does become a little bit more complex, like solar, um, the way the incentive program's written, it won't allow the homeowner to necessarily apply by themselves. It will require that the homeowner work with what's called a preferred contractor. And so um, whoever's offering that program, let's say it's the utility company that's offering the solar program, they will have a list of preferred contractors. And so the homeowner, if they want to elect that program, they will go to a a hyperlink that we typically put on the report that says choose one of these uh, preferred contractors. They will make sure that your application's uh, completed in accordance to, you know, the program requirements, and you will see it reflected on your solar bill so or your proposal, right, for, for the solar installation on your home. So in other words, if it is does become complex, the, they will typically require that, you know, some sort of trained contractor get involved and do that fulfillment on the homeowner's behalf.
0: Wow. Yeah, there is a lot of complexity to this process. And um, just hearing you describe sort of the, the day-to-day stuff and the nuance that you have to know to manage this, it really drives it home. Um, you've mentioned a few times that the, you use the phrase that the government is required to offer these incentives or these these companies are required to offer these incentives. For those of us who aren't super close to kind of the background of that, what, what are, where do those requirements come from? Is that a federal mandate? You know, How, how do these things come about?
2: Yeah, um, I, I'll just kind of keep it, you know, a high high level because um, it varies state by state. But yeah, I mean, some can be a federal mandate. I think um, most folks would be familiar with, you know, the ITC incentive program applied to solar, for example. Um, it's a tax incentive, really popular. If you t- go to any solar installer, whether residential or commercial, they're going to know about that particular incentive, right? Um, but you get down to the state levels. And they're typically going to um, either have their own state programs um, or they're going to say, you know what, we'll pass it on to the more localized levels. So it could be a county uh, incentive. It could be a city incentive. Um, and then you have the utility companies as well that will offer their incentives. I think the, the benefit for governments to offer a lot of these incentives really kind of boils up to the fact that we've got growing populations, growing cities, right, and aging infrastructure. And it's a lot cheaper for them to, uh, or I should say a lot easier too, for these governments to offer up incentive programs and, um, you know, get, folks to curb back on their consumption, right, whether it's electric or water, than it is for uh, our governments to try and convince us to uh, increase our taxes so that we can go and increase all this aging infrastructure. Uh, And one of my favorite stories from that is actually um, Austin Energy. So um, I think we all know Austin is one of these cities that, um, is just growing like crazy um so the utility the city of Austin actually owns their utility company and the utility company said um we are going to with all of this growth we're gonna have to open up you know a new uh power plant um or we could offer up, um, incentive programs, right? So I don't have the exact dollar hands on, on hands. So don't quote me on this, but let's just say the power plant was $700 million, right? Um, Austin Energy said, well, why don't we give away tens of millions of dollars to energy efficiency programs for our residential and commercial sectors? And let's see if we can get folks to curb back on their consumption. Maybe we can mitigate ever having to build the $700 million plant. And that's exactly what happened. And so the, the citizens of Austin, I mean, ate those rebate programs up, whether it was for their dishwasher or, you know, washing machine or lighting, or if it was a big, you know, commercial build out of a hotel, right? Um, they were able to curb back on enough consumption to completely avoid that, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars for a new power plant. And I think that's the way a lot of our state and local governments look at this, right? That's, that's why they want to offer those up.
1: That, that's amazing. So they should. It should uh, take the money they save from the the power plant and build at least one more highway that goes through Austin
2: <laughs> to help with traffic. <laughs> <I completely agree. laughs>
0: There's not enough. <laughs> no. <laughs> at least one. <laughs> yeah.
1: That that that's an amazing story. I I um y- y- You know this this world is you know is. Uh, <laughs> it is really intriguing. It just doesn't get the front and center, you know, a, a attention. I, um, it, you know, I'm thinking about the way this is, you know, crossing over between residential commercial. Um, what are you seeing as well on not only government, um, uh, involvement, but on like financial institutions, how are they, um, you know, taking advantage of your uh, of of your service, um, you know, when there's loans maybe attached to, um, you know, residential or commercial properties.
2: Yeah, no. um, I think, uh, so obviously, I mean, my expertise uh, without a doubt lies on like architecture, engineering, and construction industries, right? I didn't know the kind of impact um, or the way we would resonate in the lending industry, right? So I think earlier you mentioned um, there's quite a bit of like overlap between real estate or prop tech and fintech, right? Um, So I think it's pretty obvious what we do for real estate or prop tech, right? Our incentives, they help to reduce the cost of construction for property owners, Um, but also in, in reducing the cost of construction for those property owners, we help the architecture, engineering, and construction industry sell more services or product, right? Because when you can reduce the cost of a a project, maybe that owner can then reinvest that, that, um, those cost savings, and I don't know, increase their scope, increase square footage, go for that technology that might have been a little bit outside of the budget, it, right? Um, Maybe it helped an ancillary building uh, pencil now. So that's sort of the value proposition um, and and impact that we have for real estate. But for fintech, um, we started scratching uh, the surface here, I don't know, over a year ago, a little over a year ago. And we found that our data um, can really empower um, lenders or maybe those uh, serving them to uh, be this Incredible resource to their borrower base, um, simply by making borrowers aware that these cost-saving incentives um, uh, even exist. Uh, and when borrowers are, they're made aware of these incentives. And I think more importantly, when when borrowers can see how easy it is to go on to capture these incentives, um, then they can take those cost savings. And theoretically, they could pay back their loans faster, right? So I think a lot of lenders saw that it could possibly de-risk it. But more than anything, it was just a great synergistic value to the borrower base. Um, And we did work on um, and have created a, a product where we can make borrowers aware of these cost savings without disrupting the loan closing process. Um, but it's been really cool to watch a lot of the lenders either use that product as like, um, a competitive advantage, or maybe, um, they can use it to market a new loan product. Um, some use it as sort of like this, thank you for doing business with us or for, you know, closing a loan. Um, and I think just kind of watching this product evolve within this particular industry is going to be a really exciting one, especially if it can lead to, um, things like loan generation right I think that would be the most impactful thing
0: yeah and and so now is the time of the podcast where we have to ask the same question that everybody asks everybody nowadays uh COVID-19 um how has that impacted your world has it impacted your world good or bad you know what what's what's the impact for you
2: yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, I don't know a soul who isn't uh, affected uh, by this. So I kind of have to parcel that up a little bit. Uh, I'd say for business and team, we were always set up as a virtual company. It's just, it worked for us in the beginning. Um, so the team, I'm happy to say, yeah, know, they, they stayed healthy. Uh, everyone's still healthy and it's been business as usual, right? For us. Um, okay. But the industries that we serve uh, so if we take the lending industry, and honestly, you guys are probably more of the expert here, uh, but the feedback we've been getting, so, is that they're they affected by um, digital notarizations, being inundated by these SBA loans, right? Um, but the lenders we either had already been engaged with or, or you know, just having some touch points, especially during uh, COVID, they we were seeing a huge interest, a growing interest, I'd say, in... Um, this sensitivity towards their borrowers and, and the borrowers need being uh, that they're going to be hyper-focused on cost savings right now. Right. And we have a database that is full of cost saving incentives. So um, I was really impressed with a lot of the lenders that we're engaged with just saying, you know, what can we do to kind of step up this engagement? What can we do? What else can we do to help our borrowers? Um, So I think that um, yeah, we'll only see increased interest there, but you look at real estate and construction. um, Oh man, uh, it look. let's just take social distancing, right? I mean, construction sites, they, they look so different and they operate so different pre COVID. Right. And this is resulting in major delays on uh, construction schedules. And that, that affects our owners, that affects tenants. And when they can, you know, get into a space. Um, I don't know. I think for a lot of our property owners, Again, I go back to having a hyper-focus on identifying cost savings wherever possible, right? Um, we have seen an uptick in um, surveys entered into our database. And specifically, hyper for owners, they're very hyper-focused on energy efficiency. It is a very lucrative category when it comes to incentives that are offered. Um, one thing that we're noticing our our owners do a little differently, is that they're making a lot of their project decisions, the, the financing of these projects on specific situations. So usually they would look at a lot of their um, assets like on a portfolio uh, wide and make big, broad portfolio wide decisions. Now it's they are going granular on every project. So that really tells us they're diving in deep for any cost savings they can find. The other thing that we're noticing them Uh, kind of pipe up on is um, they'll come to incentivize and say, I hear you also have water uh, conservation incentives. I'd like to look at those. And the reason for that, especially on the commercial side is because water usage in a commercial building can draw quite a bit of energy um, on that building. And so for these owners, they are saying, okay, I'm gonna tackle the energy efficiency, but I wanna go for the water conservation because you know, I can also further reduce my, my energy usage. So it's sort of like this two birds, one stone kind of thing, right? They're gonna reduce their electric bills and their water bills all at once. Um, and then the category that has been checked the most as far as a technology during this time uh, for our owners has been, um, controls or, um, the capability to set like dynamic set points. Um, mm-hmm. because I think a lot of owners are skeptical of what occupancy is going to look like going forward. Right. And not having the capability to control all of these dynamic scenarios that are happening. Um, we see a lot of owners that are really gearing up and asking for, um, these complex control systems, uh, building uh, automation systems, things of that nature.
1: Well, yeah, I was um, just reading some stats on, you know, the, the concern around um, folks returning to work and uh, especially in kind of big open spaces and, you know, circulation and, and, uh, and, you know, dealing with when you have a multi-tenant building, dealing with, you know, um, even each company not being able to control their own space, so to speak. Um, I would imagine, and maybe you've heard of uh, pressure being put on, on, um, on property management and, and other building owners to, to update their systems. Are you hearing things like that? Uh,
2: absolutely. I think they're going to have to, it's going to come from typically your major tenant, uh, holders, right? They've got a lot of power. Um, mm-hmm. but like I said, I think it's going to kind of first stem from a cost saving standpoint, Real estate is an incredibly uh, expensive thing to operate. And so um, anywhere that you can reduce, uh, you'll be, as an owner, you're going to want to, right? Um, and so in going green, though, don't forget that owner's also increasing the uh, value of that asset substantially, right? So if a disposition is in their future, they could dispose of that asset at a higher value, which would be great. Um, but even if an owner talking about pressure, right, to these uh, building owners, even if an owner wanted to maybe sit tight and not make these upgrades, you have state and local governments that are saying, look, our economic road to recovery is going to be a green one. And I'm sure you guys have kind of seen that uh, come up in the news. And states are really kind of prioritizing that because uh, green projects, which are green home improvement projects or green commercial building projects, they do create more jobs, right? Um, There have been um, cities uh, like the one I'm sitting in, but also um, the city of St. Louis that has um, adopted this new energy performance standard. It's going to, in other words, it's going to require building owners to make improvements to reduce their energy use. So even if, again, if you wanted to sit tight, you might find yourself uh, with an asset in a state or city that's now mandating this sort of energy um, usage reduction or energy efficiency improvement. Um, And again, I don't think that's a bad thing. I think it's only gonna increase the value of the asset. It's only gonna reduce the monthly operating expenditures um, and it's only gonna create a healthier building environment. So um, I think there's just a lot of benefits all around. Um, From an incentive standpoint, I can tell you that there's been substantial modifications to a lot of the incentive programs. We're seeing um, utility companies, especially uh, expediting payments or these rebates, right, um, for projects. We're also seeing uh, programs that will say, look, we know that construction project was stalled. Um, or that project, you know, only hit a certain milestone and then COVID came in and, and really just jarred things. Um, tell us about what milestone you hit. Let's see if we can do a partial payment or reimbursement. And that's something we've never seen at Incentifine. So lots of um exceptions are being made. Uh, we've also seen utility companies reducing electric rates. We've seen them putting more funds into the coffers, if you will, or the buckets for their um, incentive programs. Um, because again, they know the same thing that we've been seeing, and that's property owners are going to need these cost savings if you know they're gonna kind of make it through this, this uh, tough time.
0: Yeah, it is, it's definitely an interesting time. Well, uh, Natalie, thanks a ton for chatting with us today and talking us through your world it is a fascinating world um, and you guys have definitely done a ton of really interesting and important work uh as we wrap it up uh what is kind of the next big thing on the horizon for incentivizing that you're you're most excited about that you guys are working on
2: Ooh, that's tough because it's a lot of things
0: (laughs) (laughs) you gotta pick one
2: i know i know okay well i think folks always ask me you know what what's the one thing that kind of gets you up in the morning so i'm gonna go back to that one because i think that's what is so exciting especially related to all the things we just talked about right um it's gonna be uh not that it's any anything new that we're uh, putting together we've always had a data exchange program with our state and local governments but i think now more than ever um sending them our anonymized search analytics um you know will be I want to see what what comes back. I want to show them where property owners are looking for. Has the market interest and demand for going green? How has that changed um, in in the real estate and construction uh, markets, right? Um, A lot of our data exchange program was designed to help transform the market. Um, and as I mentioned, you know, anytime I get asked as a founder, you know, what what's the one thing that gets you up every day? It's 100 percent. It's that it's that market transformation. So um, I, I just want to see what happens with this new search analytics um, starting from January, you know, sort of to today. Um, see what's changed.
1: Awesome! Thanks, Natalie. Um, it's been been uh, hugely interesting. Definitely wish you the best of best of luck navigating through these times and, uh, and making lasting change. Uh, really appreciate the time.
2: Definitely. Thanks so much, guys. Y'all have a good one.
1: Get less of Jeff in my monitor, please.
0: Yeah, way less.